Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, your host here on your community radio station. We are WFMPLP Louisville Forward Radio, broadcasting out of the top of the historic Hayburn Building here at 106.5 FM, and we live stream to the world at forwardradio.org. If you're not there now, I encourage you to go to that website and become a part of our community radio station. We built this station for the people. It's by the people. That means it's volunteer powered and we'd love to get your help behind the microphones or behind the scenes. We know you've got great ideas and great perspectives that need to be shared with the world and Forward Radio can be your megaphone to make that a reality. So go to forwardradio.org, click participate today. Let us know how you want to help out or what ideas you have. And also while you're there here in this holiday spirit of giving, why don't you chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air another year? Uh, we've made it so far uh, nearly four years coming up in April thanks to your generous contributions and it's entirely listeners who keep this station afloat and for $20 a day you can sponsor an entire day's broadcast so why not go to forwardradio.org and click on donate today well, what we do on sustainability now is take a deep dive into various sustainability issues. And today, what I want to uh, take a deep dive into is a lot of the political momentum uh, around uh, social justice and uh, racial equity that has been built throughout 2020, throughout the election season, and specifically with the run of Charles Booker against Mitch McConnell. Uh, he was ultimately defeated in the primary, but uh, built a lot of great momentum and founded an organization based upon that that we're going to hear about today. It's called Hood to the Holler, and it's focused on leveraging the incredible momentum for positive change in Kentucky and nationally toward the aim of building broad coalitions, breaking down barriers of race and class, and fueling a people-centered movement to build political power and transform our future. Well, that sounds good to me. So uh, what we're going to hear today is uh, an address that Charles Booker gave uh, at the November 14th, uh, 2020 annual chapter meeting of the Kentucky Sierra Club, who uh, was wise enough to focus their meeting this year on this issue of racial justice and its connection to environmental justice. And Charles Booker, having served in the Kentucky House uh, as Louisville's representative of the West End, uh, was a fantastic speaker for this. So let's now hear from the founder of Hood to the Holler, which you can learn more about at hoodtotheholler.org. And you can join that people-centered movement right there at hoodtotheholler.org. With no further ado, let's take you back to November 14th and the annual chapter meeting of the Kentucky Sierra Club, a proud Forward Radio community partner here on 106.5 FM. Good morning, everybody. First of all, I want to thank all of you. I want to thank Sierra Club for the opportunity to join you for your conference. I'm always honest, and I know that it is difficult to not do this in person. I know these are difficult times, and I first want to just acknowledge you in this moment. As was mentioned, I'm a state representative, and one of the biggest things that I've had to do this year is help families that are navigating unemployment. And I've received so many calls, still do from folks who have had the bottom fall out for them. And I, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm sure you know someone. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the fight that we all have before us and that it's a privilege for me to represent you and to do all I can uh, to be by your side in all of this. I know it's a difficult time. And so I'm especially humbled to be able to join you considering everything else you got going on. 
I think this is a, an important discussion today. I would love to be with you in person, and I'm going to do my best to not bore you because there's a, a lot of very exciting, frustrating, urgent conversations that we need to have about how we can actually protect our home, clean up our environment, address climate crisis for what it is, and address the structural ills that face our society. And what I want to tell you about in my little bit of who I am and some of the work that I've been doing is how all of that is so connected. And we collectively have done a disservice of not identifying that truth and putting issues in silos. The whole conversation about environmental protection, which means a whole lot to me for a lot of reasons I'm going to tell you, has often been sort of isolated into a space where only a certain subset of folks can engage it and have a voice in it and, and are pushing for it. And it often excludes a lot of people from communities like where I live. But we've been fighting that fight too. And, and, and one thing that I've noticed for our leaders for Sierra Club here in Kentucky, all of you, is that you, you get that. You see the importance of us breaking these silos down and telling the story about how we must deal with structural racism and inequity, which means that we have to protect our environment too, that, that all of those things are connected. So let me tell you a little bit about my background, give you a little bit of deeper context about why I do this work. And, um, and then let's have some conversation here about challenges we're seeing and how we can address them. You know, I just ask that you think about what it means to you and to your family, the challenges you face and how the environment plays into all of that. And um, let's push ourselves, not just today, but just in our work in general, let's push ourselves to see a world outside of our lived experiences and to be the best advocate and ally that we can be in this movement. So, um, as, as mentioned, I'm from the West End of Louisville. And um, if if you haven't spent a lot of time in the West End of Louisville, and, you know, that's a dynamic in Kentucky that has always set me out. It, it's you have Louisville and then you have the rest of the state. That's always frustrated me because this idea of us being disconnected or not seeing one another as family, it hurts us collectively. And it especially hurts when you're from the West End, because when a lot of people outside of Louisville talk about the city of Louisville, they don't talk about the West End because the truth of the matter is the West End of Louisville, where I'm from, it, uh, if it was its own city, it'd be the size of about Owensboro. It's about 75, 80,000 people uh, and more in common because lack of resources, crumbling infrastructure, environmental ills, concentrated poverty, the poverty is criminalized, a lot of health disparities, a lot of family dollars, nowhere else to really shop, very few places to find fresh, healthy food. You know, our, our environment has been rife with uh, contamination and ills in our soil, our air, water. I mean, all of these things affect us. We have much more in common with Appalachia in a lot of ways than we do the rest of the world. And I always felt like that story wasn't being told, at least not in my generation, and at least not in a way that makes it clear we should be fighting together all across Kentucky. So coming from this this set of experiences where, you know, I, I come from poverty and I didn't realize it growing up because both my parents are ministers and you know, they always taught me about the power of faith. And um, I have a big family. So I'm one of at least 71 grandkids. You may have heard me say this. I have stopped counting because there's no point in trying to keep up. Uh, so my family is really close in it. So all of the generations come together. And uh, my grandparents, who had 11 children biologically on my mom's side, um, opened their home up to foster care. And so for over 40 years, they had little ones coming in the house. And, and then everybody just kept having more little ones. And so... Uh, my grandparents' house was the community center in our neighborhood. You know, if you needed something to eat, you'd come there. Um, I would always come by after school and there'd be 
somebody I didn't necessarily know or uh, someone from up the street that was there to get something to eat just like I was. And uh, it taught me a sense of community at an early age. But we were we were struggling. Both my parents had dropped out of high school. Uh, my dad dropped out and went to the army to try to not only protect our country, but provide another opportunity for our family. And my mom dropped out to be mom number two for this really big family. And so we were on food stamps and free lunch. Uh, I was all through my childhood. There were times we couldn't afford our utilities, so our water would be cut off, our electricity would be cut off. There were times we didn't have a place to stay, my mom and I. And I I didn't realize it then because my mom was so strong. I, I didn't realize what we were really going through until I found out that she was going without eating just so that I could. And we live in a really old house. Uh, the house is over 100 years old. It's lead in the paint. It's been addressed now, but it took us about 25 years uh, to do that. We live up the street from a lot of brownfields. There's a really big brownfield. It's about 26 acres um, that is up the street from our house that is being developed now. I was a part of the initial project to mitigate that site. And now that work is happening. And in this area where infrastructure is crumbling, our water sources, so the the ponds that are in our parks are contaminated. So there are signs there that say, don't eat the fish. And that was just a way of life. You know, there's a part of our area, it's called Rubber Town, where there are a lot of chemical plants that put off emissions. And when you go by the area or like within a couple miles radius of that area, and it's, it's all concentrated in the West End, when we were little, we just knew to hold our noses and, you know, make your eyes water. And houses in the surrounding area would have film on them and You could rub your finger on the siding and see black residue on them. And a lot of negative health challenges are just stacked up in this area. I didn't see that as a fight for protecting the environment at that time. I just saw it as challenges that we had to face. And they pissed me off because I didn't believe and I don't believe and I know that we don't deserve to live in environments that kill us just because we don't have a lot of money in our pocket. And when you realize that we have a whole lot of people, hardworking Kentuckians, working multiple jobs. I've had to do it throughout my my adult life. I have two girls and each one of them is a mortgage. And so I know about hard work. My granddad from Mississippi uh, taught us how to farm. And, you know, he was working to start his business in the height of Jim Crow and, and deep segregation. And, you know, we always understood what faith and hard work was about. So these challenges are not tied to just individuals not working hard enough. They are systemic. And as soon as I understood that was the fight that we were facing, I wanted to do something about it. And and my faith gave me the conviction to know that I could. And so I started getting involved in in law, went to University of Louisville for undergrad in law school. And uh, then I went into government. And I I tell folks a little bit about who I am and my why so that you can understand when I'm talking about stuff, it's not just because it's a talking point. It's not just because it's something I researched and have an opinion on. I want you to understand who I am in in these spaces. And the reason that I became the advocate that I am, I I often give six names as to what motivates me every day to get up. And I, I think about them all the time especially now in these difficult times we're facing. Um, My two daughters, Kaylin and Preston, uh, who saved my life and helped me see my purpose in the world. And my, well, seven names, five cousins. Uh, I've had five cousins who have been murdered the last four years. I often say four because that changed a couple months ago. And uh, I almost missed that just now. I've had five cousins murdered the last four years. And um, I, I deal with a lot of trauma a lot of pain and it pushes me to tell the truth and to show up in spaces where people often don't look like me and to 
be everything that I can be to be a part of the solution. And so I found my way into organizing and joining other activists fighting against climate change because of my lived experiences in my environment and how I realized that the heat island that we're in, the air quality that we're dealing with, uh, the contamination that's all around us because of the decisions that we've made through corporate industries that are seeking profit at, at the expense of our environment have made a lot of the people that I love deeply sick or taking them out of here. And and that is true all across Kentucky in various ways. And so I give you some of that context, try to wrap it together, because I, I know that you are being intentional right now of stepping back and assessing the movement. And I think that's important to do. And this is not a privileged discussion about taking care of someone else. It is an opportunity for us to listen to the people that are in these areas, these marginalized spaces, the people that are most directly impacted by these ills and lifting them up while we lift our voices as well. It gives us the chance to build a new coalition. And so that that brings me to some of the challenges that I think we face here in Kentucky. I got into politics again out of survival, stumbled into it, didn't know much about it at all. I was in law school trying to figure out my way forward because I'm the first in my family to, to do it. So I sought out a lot of mentors and several of them ended up being legislators because a lot of legislators are attorneys. And in just bugging them, uh, Senator Gerald Neal in particular, uh, to learn the ropes, I found myself in the state capitol because I had to follow him there in order to meet with him to talk about law school. So I followed him and found my way in the state capitol. And I started attending committee meetings and I would hear how conversations about violence would be discussed and health care and education and voting rights and high utility costs and solar energy and contaminated oil wells and all of these different things that are happening. And I'm like, man, who's here making the decisions? <laughs> I was like, because they don't look like me. And, they're, and it seems like they're not understanding or talking about the challenges that I just laid out to you all from my experience in Louisville. So are we missing something? And, you know, there's there's some an, an old saying of, you know, if you complain enough, if you complain enough about something, look in the mirror. <laughs> and and essentially you're calling yourself out to say, well, OK, what do you need to do to be a part of the solution? And I determined I'm going to be in these spaces where decisions are made to make sure that people from communities like mine are heard from and accounted for. And so I, I got involved and meddled my way around and found myself in every level of government. I've worked at Metro Council, the mayor's office. Uh, I was a director of fish and wildlife, which was the, an incredible experience. That was the job. Uh, if Preston hadn't come into the world, I'd probably still be doing that. But it allowed me to go all over Kentucky. I was the director of administrative services. So I did all the hiring and firing and training. And I went into a lot of spaces. I got to see all the contours of Kentucky from the standpoint of, of an employee that is responsible for them. And in meeting with a lot of folks that have a lot of different backgrounds, I would share my story, just like I did with you all. And they would share, too, because I'm the director and, and you got to talk to the person that signs your checks. And when we would talk, we'd see how much we have in common. We'd realize that we were actually family, that we were fighting the same battles. And to me, that's the opportunity before us right now to face the challenges that we're dealing with. And I believe it's the only way. I believe us fighting together, us joining forces across race, across geography, across party lines and you know, across any of these walls that we've put up to divide ourselves, us coming together to fight for our collective future is the only way we're going to win it. And I believe we're ready. And it's because of some of the challenges and the responses to those challenges that I've seen. You know, the, the thing that has hit me the hardest 
in my work as an, an elected official and, you know, as someone that is, you know, uh, traveling across Kentucky and, and dealing with a whole lot of people is the struggles with our healthcare, economic opportunities and lack of infrastructure. I mean, there are just so many spaces and, and areas where everything is crumbling. And, you know, in the Western Louisville, our internet is crap. You know, and our, the roads are broken. They're not good places to shop. And, you know, and, and people are dealing with high utility costs. And that, for me, helped me see that this is a systemic issue all over Kentucky. And, you know, when it comes to our health, I, I'm a type 1 diabetic. And um, because of my illness and the fact that our healthcare system does not account for generational poverty, well, it does. It just doesn't help address it. Um, it perpetuates it. Um, we have a profit model in our healthcare system that um, has caused a lot of people to go bankrupt trying to stay alive or has caused a lot of people to lose it all. And I told you about my background. When I became a diabetic, there were times we just couldn't afford my insulin. And I would ration it. I would stretch it out. And I'd go without it a day here and take a little bit the next day to try to make it through. And I nearly died twice from it. And that is something that is very prevalent all across Kentucky. People that are struggling with health challenges, that are trying to take care of their loved ones. The fact that the bottom has fallen out for so many creates a sense of urgency and desperation. And out of that, there's an opportunity for us to build. And we have to do it. We have to protect our environment. We have to clean up our home. Not just because it's the right thing to do, it is, but because it's about our survival. Because we won't have a home and we will keep dying. And poverty will stay generational. And industries that exploit the, the statuses in our environment, the, the fact that we have been disenfranchised and have not had a voice in changing any, anything about this, that will not only continue, but it, it will drive us down. And, and we know those industries, particularly the fossil fuel industry, we know it's declining. Folks in cold country know it's going away. And in a lot of cases, it's gone. So the question is now, what do we do together? If we realize that we've been all, in various ways, getting crushed by the ills of the decisions that industries have made and, and the fact that we have not prioritized protecting our environment and addressing climate change, what do we do now? Well, um, I'll tell you what I did and <laughs> what I'm doing. I decided to run for state house. I decided to run and go into a space where I knew a lot of people didn't look like me. I knew a lot of people didn't come from where I come from or, or didn't realize that they did. Because like I said, a lot of folks that are in Eastern and Far West Kentucky have a lot in common with the things that I've experienced. And they may not have knew it or it wasn't really talked about. I decided to go into that space because I knew the only way we could build a path forward is to break those barriers down, tell the truth of the stories that we face in Kentucky and build some new coalitions. And, and I sought out to do that. And I got on the Natural Resources Committee uh, because of the story that I told you. <laughs> and, and so for me to be in that space, coming from the standpoint of, of a resident, of a young guy, that is seeing all the layered systemic challenges of what it means when we don't take care of our environment. It allowed me to tell a different story in that space. It allowed me to lift up different contours and create a narrative that pushes back on a conversation that's solely focused on profit. That's why our voices are important. That's why our stories are important. Our testimonies are important. And so when I was in Frankfurt and I'm closing out my term, my term ends at the end of this year, I actually just packed up my office yesterday. That, that was tough for me. One of the things that I saw there that I still see now everywhere I go um, is a sense of, of fight, resolve, and determination from regular folks. And I know that you all saw over the past couple of years, the teachers organizing uh, to protect pensions, protect public education, and a lot of educators. And if some of you all are an educator, I first want to thank you for your service because that is what it is. 
it is service and I couldn't step in your shoes. So thank you for what you do. But we saw a lot of regular folks from all ends of the political spectrum that helped to educate our children and take care of our commonwealth. They got sick and tired. They got sick of being dismissed, underpaid. They got sick of seeing our children get sacrificed for the aims of private profits. They got sick of seeing public education be undermined. And so they had a sick out and they they went to get some treatment. They found themselves at the state capitol. And when you walked into those rooms, when you walk into the rotunda, and see a sea of red shirts. And I said, all these just regular folks from all different walks of life. Some of them, it was the first time they'd ever been in the Capitol building. It was electric. It felt like Kentucky. It felt like democracy. It felt like we have a fighting shot. Because I know you all know the odds are stacked against any real progressive change. Certainly, if you want to talk about the, the components of a Green New Deal. And I'll tell you about my Green New Deal tour in Appalachia too. Uh, but when I was walking in those buildings into the Capitol and the annex and the committee rooms, and I look into the eyes of men and women who just want to take care of home and they love Kentucky, they love our children, they love our families, they love themselves so much that they would go into these spaces where they'd never been, many of them, and they would scream out and they'd cry out and they would plead and they would tell their story. That gave me so much hope. It gave me hope. Because I know that's how mountains move. I know that's how change happens. When we come together, when we lift our voices together, when we push together, change happens. And because of that, we stop some bad bills. And I'll tell you, as a Democrat being in the extreme minority, oftentimes if the Republicans want to pass legislation, there's nothing we can do to stop them. I mean, there's some, there are some you know technical things we can do to delay and, you know, we can shine a light and, and sort of guilt them into slowing down on, on just crushing us in a lot of ways. But without regular folks stepping up, coming together, putting aside their, their differences and fighting for a common purpose, we were able to build some really significant momentum that the whole country watched. And we stopped some bad things. And we got rid of a very terrible governor that reminds me a lot of Donald Trump. And so I knew it was possible. But I realized, like you all do, if you look at most indicators that would determine a good quality of life, Kentucky's at the bottom and damn near all of them. And that's been that way my whole life. I just turned 36. I just turned 36 last month, a couple weeks ago. And the gentleman that's in the United States Senate, that is the majority leader, was elected two weeks after I was born. And I'm looking at all of these challenges. You know, we've been fighting to expand solar and to help make it more accessible for regular folks and to prevent, you know, these uh, big utility companies monopolizing that and, and sort of crushing local business. We've been fighting to, you know, mitigate abandoned oil wells across Kentucky and, and to make sure the Reclaim Act actually happens. We, we've been fighting to do more work to support local businesses so that they can have green infrastructure and be incentivized to invest in green infrastructure as well. I mean, we're doing all these things, not just because of the right thing to do, but because we want to live. And at every corner, every point that I would turn, every issue, you just pick one, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be just specifically on protecting the environment. Just pick an issue. There is a barrier that's blocking it. And that barrier has been Addison Mitchell McConnell Jr. And I, I say that, I don't believe that's a partisan statement. I think if you're looking objectively at who is the person that can control where things go and don't go in Kentucky. It's him. So I decided to run against him. And we're just breaking in quickly to remind you that you're tuned in to Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio, 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org with me, Justin Mogg. And we're listening back today to an address that Charles Booker gave on November 14th at the annual chapter meeting of the Kentucky Sierra Club. Charles Booker, of course, is a uh, 
the founder of Hood to the Holler. You can learn more about them and the movement at hoodtotheholler.org. Now let's take you back to the Sierra Club's annual meeting on November 14th here on Forward Radio. And I was committed to doing it from the standpoint of speaking about structural inequity and, and racism all over Kentucky, about telling the real story about lived experiences like mine that are true all over the Commonwealth that never get lifted up in the public sphere, certainly at the national level, because Kentucky gets written off. I was committed to building coalitions of black, brown and white people so that we can transform our future. And to me, that's bigger than politics. It's way bigger than politics. It is about us taking care of us. It's about family. And that was my message, that no matter where you're from, what you look like, how much money you have, whether you're walking and using a wheelchair, what you believe, that you're critically important, that you matter, and you deserve a government that accounts for your humanity. And at that core level, it gave me the space to talk about issues that a lot of people would say, oh, you can't talk about that. That's too progressive for Kentucky. And my response is, well, you don't know Kentucky then, do you? You haven't been listening. Because if you sit down with those miners that have lost everything, they'll tell you that industry is going away. And they'll tell you that they're sick and tired of having to sacrifice everything to be left stranded on the tracks. And they'll tell you they would love to go into other industries and do other things because they don't have any economic opportunities in their areas other than out of going into the mines or going into a convenience store. And you know what? I would tell the story about we, we deal with so many of the same things that if you listen, if we listen, if we meet people where they are, we see that we're fighting the same battles. We see that change is needed and we see that we're the ones that have to do it. And so I was convinced, and I am, that we can win not just a Green New Deal, but a Kentucky New Deal, that we can lead on the change that we need to see. And it starts in the areas that have been hurt the most. So that's one lesson that I want to help drive in every space that I show up in. We are all oriented towards love. But when we show up to advocate based on those convictions, we cannot do it without the people that are directly affected. You can't push for change for someone else. You have to do it with them. And the, the communities that are most connected to the pain should be most connected to the power of changing it. And so I wanted to lift up voices in East Kentucky. I wanted to lift up voices in West Kentucky where you know farms have been crippled by the changes in our climate and, and have not been able to sustain and how poverty is something that is pervasive as well. And the suicide rates for uh, small farmers is something that we can't ignore. And I wanted to tell that story because Kentucky is everything to me. And I just believe that we deserve to be fought for and not against and that we can win because that is what we do. We overcome in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. We don't back down. We work hard everywhere, you know, and, 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 that, and that broke through. It inspired people to believe that things could be different. Folks got involved in the democratic process that had never done it before. With the uh, restoration of voting rights, the executive order that Governor Bashir put forward, there was a bill that I was leading for the past couple of years to break down barriers to democracy. And, and his executive order didn't go as far as my bill. I always, I always give him a hard time about that. But it, it was a great step forward because it allowed a hundred, over 170,000 Kentuckians um, the right to be heard for the first time, many of them. Ever. My uncle, um, I told you I have had cousins that have been murdered the last four years. My cousin TJ was murdered on Easter Sunday in 2016. Tyrone Jr. His dad, my uncle, my uncle Tyrone, lost his rights to vote over 30 years ago for an offense that's not a felony anymore. It had been decriminalized. 
And I didn't know that he couldn't vote for me when I ran for state house because he was helping me put out yard signs. He's a minister. He counsels folks. You know, he's he's been a mentor for me. I didn't know that he couldn't vote. He didn't tell me until this executive order was signed. And uh, he, he texted me. He's like, hey, CJ, my nickname is CJ. I'm Charles Jr. I saw that executive order. I know you've been working on that bill. Does this mean I can vote too? And he can, and he was able to vote this year. So I, I've, I, have a, I have a lot of hope in the midst of everything that we've been facing. All the challenges. We got a whole lot of challenges in Kentucky. But we, as many challenges as we have, they don't measure up to our brilliance. They don't measure up to our potential. They don't measure up to our fight. They don't measure up to our love. And and I just believe that will win through if we do the work. So I launched an organization and this came out of the rallying cry from my Senate campaign. I told you I wanted to tell the story and, and storytelling is really important to me. I, I get it from my granddad, Sergeant Lindsey E. Hearn Sr. He would, he'd sit up and tell me stories all through the night about how he served in, uh, in the army and face discrimination and how I've had ancestors who were enslaved and lynched in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and how he fought for desegregation and, you know, and how growing up in the church taught him to be a steward and and to be a a servant of others and to uh, be an advocate for others that don't have a voice. And so I took that connection to telling stories into the campaign to say, I want people to realize that we are tied together, that we are family, and that we're fighting back together now. And so Hood to the Holler was a rallying cry that told that story. And now, although I didn't win the the Senate primary, we all know how the elections went. That work didn't stop. There's some theory behind this, okay? And and as I was telling you a little bit about my background and why I show up in politics, it, it was really telling you the theory about what this organization is and what this moment is, I believe, for us to seize in Kentucky and all across the country. And it, it is based on this idea of creating a new Southern strategy, which is essentially our effort to redefine politics. The fact that we have to fight the battles we do to protect our environment, the fact that we have to fight the battles we do to expand health care, to lift up new industries, sustainable industries, to make sure that we protect and empower our educational system. All these things are tied to they're tied to racism. They're tied to our history of structural and systemic racism. And ultimately, that is why poverty is generational. And you have to look at poverty in a holistic sense. And so some of the things that we're doing now to really break through is to activate and mobilize people. Because as I told you, that's how the change happens. We come together, we build our power together, we're unstoppable. And so what I'm doing with Hood to the Holler and what we're doing, because now we have around 5,000 volunteers, we're helping to break down barriers to democracy, telling the story about disenfranchisement. Yes, registering voters, and we're going to have a massive voter registration effort all 2021, all over Kentucky, but not just for the sake of getting folks registered to vote. Voting is important, but it's not important because you have to bubble in a bubble and go home. It's important because it, it's a foundational piece of democracy when it means something. And when we are able to use our vote and then run and, and lobby as citizen lobbyists, we can change policies. We can change budgetary decisions. We can do the work of ending poverty. So we're telling that story. We're training people to be leaders, running for office, boards and commissions to be citizen lobbyists. We are training folks in relational organizing so that we can create new infrastructure all over Kentucky of folks that are involved and engaged, many in the forgotten places, as I call them. And then we're lifting up thought space around generational poverty, 
and telling the story about what that means in a holistic sense, how it touches every aspect of our lives. And we're doing it creatively with art, music. Well, we're dealing with the pandemic now, so we haven't been able to bring people together a lot lately, but we're preparing to do some convenings across Kentucky, really to help break folks out of their silos, taking a lot of folks from the West End uh, to Appalachia be the first time. And we're going to do a lot of those types of things. And we're working in conjunction with several organizations. We will be working with the Sierra Club for sure. And to me, I just believe that's the path forward. Hood to the Holler has created an organic space for organizing new voices and training people to be digital organizers, relational organizers. Because of that, over the last two months, we've reached a half a million Kentuckians. We were registering voters. We reached 225,000 Kentuckians that had not been registered to vote. And we are trying to build on that momentum and crush 2021. And we need everyone's help. We're going to have a big session ahead of us. They're going to be dealing with the budget in a way that we've never seen before uh, in this off year because of the pandemic. And we got to be locked in. And one thing you all know for sure is when we're dealing with other big issues in the legislature, they'll try to slide some other bills through that, that hurt the environment too. You know, that net metering bill, which we still got to keep fighting. I mean, you, you can't slow down. You can't look away for a second. You can't blink. So I want to make sure that we have a contingent of new voices, of fired up voices across Kentucky that can take action and mobilize. And we're creating apps to help people do that to where if there's issues you're concerned with in your community, wherever you are, uh, you'll be able to find out who are the, the local leaders, the state leaders, federal leaders that uh, impact the, those issues and how to organize and how to engage at your city council, how to engage at the state legislature. We're actually creating some intuitive tools to make it easier for folks to figure that stuff out because it is confusing and it is intimidating and we want to break those walls down. But I, I really wanted to drive home the point that we're built for this moment and together I like our chances. And like I said, protecting the environment is a holistic conversation. It is one that pulls in all of the challenges we face. And if we break down those barriers, you keep hearing me say that because we have to do it. If we do, and we lift up this truth together, we're going to win together. Even in a moment in Kentucky where a lot of people in leadership don't see the immediate value of having these types of conversations. We're going to make these conversations unavoidable because we're never going to shut up. And if we keep building our numbers and we keep organizing across Kentucky, we'll apply the pressure that needs to be applied to one, stop bad legislation, to put forth our own agenda, and then ultimately to take office ourselves. You know, So that's where I'll, I'll stop and, and entertain some questions. And just thank you for what you do. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for shining the light. Thank you for fighting this battle. And thank you for letting me do it by your side. So some questions. One of the ones that was yeah. was brought up was, what are the steps that we need to take to build, to unite, to build the coalition that you're talking about? Yeah, for sure. And oh, and I have to take you all about this story from, uh, I had, a, I called it a Green New Deal tour. I was going across Eastern Kentucky. I'll tell you a little story about that. But the steps that we have to take, I believe, and, I mean, this isn't comprehensive, of course. I don't have all the answers. But one of the things that I really believe we have to do is activate our power around us. And this is why relational organizing is so important. And I say organizing a lot. It's not just about talking to other people, but it is about building a momentum wave of energy on these issues and shaking up the discussions and injecting new ideas and providing a sense of accountability. It, to me, is, is this is rooted in my understanding of what protesting means and what it means to disrupt and to cause good trouble um, and to build a critical mass of people that can help force change even when those in leadership don't want to. We got to do that level of engagement now 
And it starts with having some uncomfortable conversation. It starts with truth telling. And, you know, I say start small, you know, find five to 10 people that are, you know, in your family and your, and your, your phone, your call log or that are friends on your social media pages and just begin to talk to them and share information with them. Let them have their space. We're not trying to, you know, uh, we're not trying to convert people. We're, we're trying to help them see what's already happening to them. We're trying to maybe shake their conscience on things that they weren't paying attention to. And once you start sending information out, you start having dialogues, you start to have them do it too. Then you create this network of people that are talking about issues that they weren't talking about before. So maybe the thing to do one day is, let me tell you about how the environment is, has affected my family. And you tell 10 people, can you think of how it's affected you? And now y'all talking about it. And then maybe you send them some information. Did you know about it? X, Y, or Z? Or what do you know about the Green New Deal besides how it's been politicized? You know, and, and after doing that for so long, opportunities cr come together for new members <laughs> that they may have never thought of themselves as joining the Sierra Club, but now they get it. Um, and now you can do the work of creating citizen lobbyists, too, because a lot of people don't don't even think that their voice matters in government. And then when bills are coming up that we get pissed off about, a lot of people don't even realize that they can go to the committees and speak on them or that they can go meet with those legislators and, and give them hell about it, or that they can draft their own legislation. So to me, that is like a very foundational thing that we have to do is help people activate their power where they are. And we start small, we scale up, we keep doing it. We create an unstoppable network of people that are fighting. You mentioned the Green New Deal in there. Should it be repackaged to undo the conservative misbranding or can it be rebranded for that? Um, that's, that is a good question. Uh, you know, what was really important for me, and I, I'll tell you the story I love telling. What was really important for me in the Green New Deal was to embrace it. I wanted to embrace it first because one thing that we do in a lot of cases, we can see the narrative. Like we, we, we back up off the narrative and essentially allow, I mean, this is not partisan to me, but as it comes to the, the Green New Deal, folks that um, are more in favor of corporate interests and, you know, more in favor of protecting the status quo. I'll say it that way so I don't like just calling all Republicans or anything. But they, they create a narrative that is fear-based, that, you know, that is destructive, and we just let it exist. Like, we just concede away, okay, you're, you're going to talk like that, so let me just respond to you. I think we need to get on the offense more. You do that, one, by building the coalitions and, and speaking the truth with clarity and meeting people where they are. You know, I'm not asking you to agree with me, but you're going to hear me out because I'm not going away. So I wanted to embrace the Green New Deal. And I wanted to have a Green New Deal tour while I was running for U.S. Senate against, you know, someone that is going to say he's going to protect the coal jobs and bring them back. And, you know, we know how the Green New Deal has been weaponized and folks think that you're trying to take burgers and, and airplanes away. I wanted to have a deeper conversation. So I went across uh, East Kentucky spent about four days doing canvassing and telling my story about how, why I fight to protect the environment and ask and just listening to folks. And once I was, I was in Electric County and I was canvassing. So these folks didn't know I was coming. They didn't know who I was, you know, young black guy. And, you know, they probably never, they had never seen before. And I was knocking on doors to ask them about how their utilities have been and how, you know, how do they feel about um, the environment and access to clean water and, sustainable economic opportunities and why I support a Green New Deal. And I was just going to let them be uncomfortable with it so we could like grapple with that, that issue. 
And I knocked on this one door. It was a little old lady. She had a robe on and her hair was disheveled. So I think I had probably woken her up. And um, I was like, I'm going to have this conversation. And if they get mad at me, they just get mad. I love them anyway. So I told them what I just said. You know, I was explaining why I'm there and why I support the Green New Deal. And I asked, asked her how she felt. And, you know, she reared back and I thought she was going to let me have it. And her response was, well, we need a Green New Deal. We need this. And you know what? Everybody needs health care. Nobody ever listens to us. Nobody ever comes to see how we feel. And like it blew me away. And it really helped me to see that you can't put people in boxes and dismiss them. And you can't just say, oh, they'll never agree with me on anything, so I'm not going to talk to them. If we go out and talk to folks and engage them, we can build a bigger coalition on the Green New Deal. But for me, I say we need a Kentucky New Deal. I want us to own it. And this is not some outside folks telling us what we should do and subscribing to this brand that has been very, you know, weaponized as a wedge issue. Let's own our future. And when you say it like that, folks are like, hell yeah, I want that. You know, so I've been working with the Sunrise Movement and Climate Strike and helping to tell this story and and like humanize it. And, and, And when you do that, we're all fighting to protect our climate, most of us. Most of us, we may not have realized it, but most of us are, and there's more of us than it is with them. Hey, Charles, I've got a person who'd like to ask you a question live here. Jerry, you can ask your question. So, Charles, I um, would like your support or help. I'm thinking about running for Kentucky Senate in District 7. We met at my friend Sarah Day's house at one of the campaign rallies. Yeah. But, um, the big thing for me, like, you know, I'm a big environmentalist, started the Explore Kentucky Initiative and do like a lot of work around river conservation and stuff. And I feel like we need more people in the state house that care about those issues. Yeah. Um, and also around, around diversity, inclusion and environmental justice. So I would love to learn from you and work with you. Man, first of all, it's good to see you. And thank you for, for even considering throwing yourself in the fire <laughs> because that's, that's what it is. But it's, it is <laughs> it is worth it, man. I, it is the most humbling thing, the most inspiring privilege, short of being a dad. This is just the most incredible privilege of my life um, to be able to go into the, those spaces and fight for Kentuckians and to stand up and speak the truth. And you're so right. I mean, we need more leaders that understand the importance of protecting our environment that see it as a central issue and not some ancillary topic that can be annoying and in the way, but as foundational to everything that we're trying to do to uplift Kentucky. And what Hood to the Holler is doing in, in like leadership development, actually right now, we're creating a lot of tools, um, handbooks, there'll be podcasts and videos that will talk you through how to run for office, like how to identify your target audience, how to create a stump speech, how to build a finance plan, I mean, we're doing this with a lot of partners, so we're bringing folks to the table to help present this in a way that is able to be consumed and taken in. And so that's going to roll out actually in a couple of weeks. We're we're getting that stuff together now and we're going to have academies going next year uh, with workshops across Kentucky. So that's just general. But for us personally, let's connect because I'd love to help you. And I just think, you know, if we can bring this topic down to the ground for people, bring it to their kitchen table, bring it to their wallet, you know, um, bring it to their refrigerator, you know, I mean, if we can like humanize these issues, which your life story, your work is so central to, we can build new coalitions on these things. We just, we have to take the narrative back and and tell the story. So thank you for even considering it and um, count me in somebody to help you, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Charles, kind of continuing on that, we had a question earlier. How do people plug in? I mean, what are other steps that other people can do actually get on the ground, get on the ground, start working? What or Where can we fit in? Can you expand? Yeah, yeah. So I, I try to give folks like easy entry points because 
the work is overwhelming. Like there's so much we we can and must be doing. You know, one of the things we're we're doing with Hood to the Holler, I'll start there. We're training folks to be digital organizers. And what that means is that we're helping people learn how to utilize social media to recruit, to share information, to get data so that we can turn that into assets for whatever type of campaign we want to do, issue related or otherwise. And that's something that anybody can do for whatever issue. And so it's a really important um, asset to have. You know, a lot of people have never really thought about if you put up a post about, you know, protecting the environment or something the Sierra Club is doing and people like it. Some people have never thought about going to those people that have liked it and sending them a message to check in with them and to either give them, you know, a link to join or to tell them a little bit more about it or to thank them or to ask them to engage them and turn that into a bomb beyond just clicking like. So we, we help train folks on doing that um, across various social media platforms. And also, I know the election is over, but this is a great time to continue the work of registering voters. And honestly, I'm, I'm trying to lift up the message of Let's never stop. A lot of times you see it like ramp up around election time and then it dies down um, and we sort of get comfortable again. Let's not get comfortable anymore. And then also folks getting ready for the legislative session. You can look at the pre-filed bills at lrc.ky.gov. But just getting ready, we were, like I said, we're creating that app. We have a text function available as well to where we'll be able to help folks coordinate actions across Kentucky for like Brianna's Law, for instance. And so that's something to be prepared for in the upcoming weeks. And like I said, start just start having these conversations. Pick 10 new people and tell them about the Sierra Club. 10 new people you've never talked to about it before. And if we just keep doing that, it, it'll build. Um, it, it will build. And uh, Kentucky's for the Commonwealth is doing a lot of this uh, great work, too. So if you go to hoodtotheholler.org, we actually have a survey of what's what's important to you. And we'll help plug folks into other organizations, too, um, that are doing uh, work that's important to you. What are other ways? What are some of the barriers that you saw that need to be broken down for all of these racial, social, environmental issues to come together and, and have a unified front, unified uh, voice? Yeah, you know, um, the biggest barrier that I think that needs to come down is around how we discuss or don't discuss poverty. To me, that is that is like a central piece to our path forward. Everything else is like tinkering around the edges. To me. If we don't get to like the core of why challenges exist in communities across Kentucky and why Kentucky as a whole has been struggling for so long, if we don't get to the core of it, um, the progress that we can see is only going to be marginal and people are still going to be suffering from poverty this generational and passing it down to their children. And so that connects to our healthcare, our education, our justice system. We criminalize poverty. You know, I, I've been a big proponent of legalization from the standpoint of helping folks get access to treatment instead of criminalizing them. And we know that that disproportionately impacts poor communities, you know, and so we don't talk about poverty. And when I would tell people I ran my campaign for U.S. Senate focused on ending poverty, it, it shocked them. It's like, wait a minute, we don't talk about stuff like that. that, that to me, that's, that's a big part of the problem. One of the one of the people brought out that the United States is basically a third world country when it comes to family support. Uh, and we're worse and we're one of the worst states in that. I mean, would this be an issue that would bring us together and, and unite us in terms of, of working on some of these issues? I believe so. And. I'm, I'm convinced that the unique challenges we've faced in the last four years and certainly this year has created a new type of environment for us to see our challenges differently and to see um, how interconnected we really are. I think this pandemic in particular has, by causing the bottom to fall out for a lot of people that never saw it coming, I started hearing, and I, like I said, I talk to people all the time. I hear some just 
terrible stories. I've cried this more this year than I ever have. I would hear people tell stories that sound very similar to the types of things that I've been talking about for years in my neighborhoods with high unemployment. Unemployment in the Russell neighborhood um, has been a, close to 30% for years. And now that more people are seeing these challenges in a deeper way, I do believe it gives us the chance to to build new coalitions. And my, my hope is that we seize this moment because it can get worse. I mean, history shows us it's not like we are immune you know, to our inaction. And so I, I believe we can, and I'm, I'm certainly fighting to make sure we do. And the Q&A continued on November 14th, but we've got to leave it there. You've been listening to Charles Booker, former Kentucky House representative from the west side of Louisville and a former candidate against Mitch McConnell running for Senate. And now he has founded, based on the momentum from his campaign, the organization Hood to the Holler, which he was talking about at the 2020 annual chapter meeting of the Kentucky Sierra Club back on November 14th. You can learn more at hoodtotheholler.org. Stay tuned to Ford Radio coming up in just a second here on Sustainability Now. It's your community action calendar with tons of ideas for how you can get involved in making sustainability a reality now. So stay tuned, my friends. Right, let's dive right into it, my friends. With no further ado, I hope you've got your calendars out and your pencils sharpened and are ready to take action for sustainability this week. And it all starts on Tuesday, December 1st at 1230 online for the live premiere of Gather and Grow, a Giving Grove short film. Join Louisville Grows as we watch the premiere of this short documentary about Louisville Grows' newest program, The Giving Grove. This program involves transforming unused urban space into sustainable and organic little fruit orchards that are available to feed the community surrounding them. You can register at givinggrove.org slash gathergrow to receive a link to the film via email. That's Tuesday the 1st at 1230. Coming up on Thursday, December 3rd at noon online, the Jefferson County Cooperative Extension is holding a holiday wreath-making class online. Learn how to make plant materials that you commonly find in your yard or neighborhood and turn them into holiday wreaths. You can learn more and register at facebook.com slash Louisville Community Gardens. Also on Thursday at 6 p.m. online, it's For the Planet, For You. 
phenomenal bluegrass botanicals with 2020 artist in residence at Bernheim, Gabriella Boros. Join us throughout early December as we highlight all that Bernheim's team does to protect the planet and benefit our visitors and community. These conversations are held via Zoom and they're free of charge, but registration is required. And to do so, you can go to bernheim.org. Coming up on Friday the 4th, it is the Community Farm Alliance's 2020 annual meeting. It's going to be online this year, as all annual meetings seem to be, on the theme of breaking new ground, building the food and farm system we deserve. It's Friday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Every year, friends, members, and leaders gather from across the state to reflect on the year Community Farm Alliance has had and vision where we should go next. Though we would love to be together in person, we hope you will join us online and bring your energy to help do the same this year. During our meeting, we are planning to have big conversations about climate change, value chain development, healthy food access, and equity in agriculture. You can learn more and register for free at cfaky.org, cfaky.org. This Friday, the 4th, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. online. Community Farm Alliance is a fantastic organization. And this is a great opportunity to learn more about it for free without having to travel anywhere. Coming up this Saturday, December 5th, there'll be an old Louisville tree planting starting at 9 a.m., taking up the rest of the morning. There's two places you can go to start the tree planting. Volunteers will be gathering at 7th and St. Catherine to plant in the Limerick neighborhood or closer to the UofL campus at 3rd Avenue Baptist Church. They're at 3rd and Bloom Street. The Old Louisville Neighborhood Council and UofL's Sustainability Council invite volunteers to help us restore the rapidly shrinking canopy in our urban core. We'll be planting 31 street trees at two different locations on Saturday morning. One will be along both sides of 3rd Street from Bloom and and hill to hill just one block north of cardinal boulevard volunteers should gather outside of the third avenue baptist church at third and bloom to be assigned to small tree planting teams simultaneously volunteers will also be planting trees up in the limerick neighborhood at a variety of spots between seventh and second and between breckenridge and ormsby Volunteers for those plantings should gather at 7th and St. Catherine. In both locations, donuts, coffee, and light breakfast items will be available just before 9 a.m. when work will begin. And a pizza lunch will be served for all volunteers after the trees are planted. All are welcome. Tools would be provided, but volunteers may also bring your own shovels and gloves. Masks and physical distancing will be required. You can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability about this Saturday morning at 9 a.m., the Old Louisville Tree Planting. Now, December 5th also marks the beginning of 12 days of cooperation. This is the Louisville Community Grocery's major outreach event for the holidays. Let's gift in solidarity together. They are taking the 12 days of Christmas and applying them to 12 different days of teaching, training, activities, gifting, and celebration, all tying back to our mission and values. The goal is to bring on at least 500 new owners in the month of December. That would bring us to 800 owners and the goal for New Year's Eve so that we can decide on and announce the location of our full-size store at the all-owner meeting that will be taking place on January 19th. 
There are so many great festivities taking place between December 5th through 20th in the 12 Days of Cooperation. And it all starts this Saturday, December 5th, from noon to 4. It's a Christmas tree sale taking place in Old Louisville at Forage by Coco. Uh, you can learn more about this and get the full schedule of events, which I'll again be sharing next week. There's some great ongoing things like holiday card delivery and uh, date night or couples offering, including ownership and a private session at the Louisville Salt Cave, as well as holiday gift boxes with activities and local goodies for businesses and employers to buy from their employees with ownerships. And you can learn more at lufoodcoop.com slash 12 days. Also Saturday the 5th from 1.30 to 3.15 online, the Louisville Climate Action Network will be hosting their Before You Buy workshop on water heaters. This will be suitable for home and small-scale business owners. LCAN will be offering consumer tips for determining whether you should consider replacing your water heater, and if so, how to replace it with more energy efficiency, cost-effective equipment suited to your needs. They'll cover traditional gas-fired standby, on-demand, and hybrid options, as well as how to choose a reputable contractor who will meet your needs professionally for a fair price. Register to receive the workshop link and hand out materials in advance of the workshop at louisvillecan.org, louisvillecan.org for the Saturday the 5th, 1.30 p.m. online workshop on water heaters. Also want to let you know that the Urban Agriculture Coalition will begin its public orchard winter workshops. Get your cold weather gear out and let's prune fruit trees together. Uh, proud Ford Radio community partner, the Urban Agriculture Coalition, is helping neighbors to prune the community orchards throughout Louisville again this year. Come out and learn to prune fruit trees and help maintain the trees in your community orchards. We will provide pruning tools, and if you have some you'd like to use, feel free to bring them along. You can sign up for as many dates as you like at tinyurl.com orchards2020. That's tinyurl.com orchards2020, and it all starts this Saturday the 5th from 2 to 4 p.m. at Produce Park, which is over there near 30th and Muhammad Ali. And dates continue uh, throughout the season up until February 7th. So again, learn more and sign up at tinyurl.com orchards2020. And lastly, I want to let you know that on Monday the 7th at 6 p.m., the Post Landfill Action Network will continue and conclude their monthly movement movie nights with the film Merchants of Cool. Do you really think something is cool or were you sold that idea? America's giant media corporations work tirelessly to make consumers want for the new products to follow the new trends, even if the products they had last year were perfectly fine. But how do companies stay on, t on the cusp of cool and perpetuate the idea of perceived obsolescence? You can learn more on the movie night on Monday, December 5th, 7th at 6 p.m. You can find the link to register for the film at facebook.com slash postlandfill. And you can also follow at Post Landfill on Instagram for more information. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hope you have a great week. And I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Spread the love around. Don't be up and down.